Now we're in Judges 16 this morning talking to you about the faith of a failure. In 1967, country music star Johnny Cash was in deep trouble. In spite of his great success and his critical acclaim, Mr. Cash was empty inside and he was addicted to amphetamines. In fact, Cash wrote in his autobiography, he said, quote, I was canceling shows and recording dates and when I did manage to show up, he said, I couldn't sing because my throat was too dried out from the pills. I was in and out of jails, hospitals, car wrecks. I was a walking vision of death because that's exactly how I felt. Because his drug use had isolated from his friends and family and colleagues, Johnny Cash felt abandoned. He felt lonely, completely hopeless. So in Early of October 1967, he decided it was time to end it all. He said, quote, I had wasted my life. I had drifted so far from God and every stabilizing force in my life that I felt there was no hope for me. And I'm praying for you today if you feel that way. Cash made his way to the Nickajack Cave on the Tennessee River just north of Chattanooga, Tennessee. There lay a complex system of caves that run under the mountains for miles. He said, it was my intention to crawl into that cave so that I would never find my way out and that no one would be able to locate me until I was dead. Cash parked his jeep. He entered the cave and he crawled for nearly three hours until the light in his flashlight batteries dimmed out. He lay there in the complete darkness, utterly exhausted. And he said this, the absolute lack of light was appropriate, for at that moment, he said, I was as far from God as you could ever get. Wow. Now, if one man in the Bible could relate to Cash's self-destruction, it was the man we've been learning about these past few weeks, Samson. His downward spiral that we're going to read about here today in Judges 16 is a lot like Johnny Cash's descent into that dark cave. We'll hear the rest of Mr. Cash's story toward the close of the sermon, but Samson was the epitome of wasted potential. So many years of his life was lost in sin, and it pains one to think what might have been from this mighty man had he fully given himself to God. And it's ironic, Samson's name means sunshine, and Mr. Sunshine ends his life in darkness. Now, Judges 16 traces the sad descent of this hero. By the end of the chapter, we're going to see how this mighty man was made weak because of his unbridled passions. So in a negative way, you might say that Samson shows us the high cost of low living. But in a positive way, he also shows us what I will call this morning the faith of a failure. Because graciously and providentially, God used the failure of Samson and his faith to bring about a final victory. And if you're feeling like Mr. Cash did in that cave, if you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling broken, if you feel as if you don't know where to go, you don't know where to turn to, this message is for you today because I'm here to tell you that God accepts failures. And God uses failures. He's a second chance God. He's a God of grace and a God of mercy. And Samson's life will prove it. 
If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to notice with me, number one, Samson's dangerous flirtation. His dangerous flirtation. Now, in order to fully understand Samson's downfall, it's vital that you recall with me that he had a high and holy calling from his birth to live under what was known as the Nazarite vow. That vow spelled out in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. But this vow showed his dedication to God, and as long as Samson kept his vow, then he was promised to enjoy the anointing and the blessing of God. Now that Nazarite vow included with it three non-negotiable important points. They were, number one, no contact with the dead. Number two, no consumption of alcohol. And number three, no cutting of the hair. Now we've seen Samson thus far in his life. He's violated two out of those three. And today, the text is going to explain how Samson lost his hair and in the process lost the anointing and the blessing of God on his life. But it began with what I call a dangerous flirtation. He turned sin into a game. And you could call Samson a swinging player. He was a ladies' man. He loved foreign women. But he met his match in a gold digger named Delilah. We're going to meet her here today in this chapter. And while Samson swooned over the beauty of this woman, we understand that Delilah, there's another thing that made her tick. She was really, her allegiance was up to the highest bidder. She wanted a payday. So when the Philistines saw the seductive power that Miss Delilah had over the mighty man Samson, they made a bribe that she could not refuse. Look at what verse 4 says in our text. And after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now the Bible scholars who have done their tabulations tell us that the fortune they offered Delilah to betray Samson was the equivalent of 550 years of wages for the average worker in that day. So she would be set for the rest of her life if she went through with this. And all she had to do was turn up the charm and turn up the sex appeal and play a little game of cat and mouse with Samson who was all brown but no spiritual discernment. Now there's a few enduring lessons that I see here in this text about the nature of temptation. Oh, the enemy worked and used Miss Delilah to break down God's man and I see here a pattern and several lessons about how the enemy comes to you and I, how he breaks us down and gets us to give in to sin and temptation. I want to talk to you under this heading of the attraction of temptation. The attraction of temptation. It's interesting that that name Delilah, whom we already met there, verse 4 and 5, means delicate. She was a fatal attraction. She was beautiful and by just outward appearances, you would say, oh, she's harmless. But how many of you know that the devil is an expert at taking something deadly and making it look like a delight? 
Old Billy Sunday, the old preacher from many years ago, he had a saying that went like this. He said, sin fascinates before it assassinates. It thrills before it kills. Amen? Now, Samson is attracted to Delilah, and 1 John 2.16 would call this the lust of the eyes. It's the same trap that deceived Eve all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 at the first temptation, because in chapter 3 of verse 6, when she's tempted by the serpent, it says she saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes. And so sin fascinates before it assassinates, doesn't it? The eminent British author and journalist Malcolm Muggeridge, he once told a story about how this works out. He had a struggle with lust. And Malcolm Muggeridge began as a skeptic. He later, towards the end of his life, he did convert to Christ. But he said that on one occasion he was in assignment in India. He was doing some reporting there. And he uh, peered out his hotel window and he looked down at the river below and as he looked down he saw a shapely attractive woman bathing in the river well the juices started to flow in him uh, the drive for lust overpowered him and he decided nobody's here nobody's watching I think I'll go make an advance at that lady he said that as she approached the lady in the water she had her back turned to him and he called out to her, and as he got closer, she turned around, and he was shocked to see when she turned around that she was a leper. And her face was marred and scarred from that disease. And he said that the first thought that came into his mind as he was about to reach forward and take that woman was, what a dirty woman. But then he said that he fell under great conviction and shame hit his heart and he said the dirty one was me it was my sinful heart it was my soul he said that was consumed with the leprosy of sin friend that's the attraction of temptation a Satan is an expert at making sin look not sinful because it draws us in that's where Samson was the attraction of temptation but then notice also under this dangerous flirtation, the attrition of temptation. The attrition of temptation. Now, Samson is a fun-loving guy. We've already met him. He likes games and riddles and, and pranks after he defeated the Philistines. He set their fields on fire by using those foxes. You remember that? And then when he defeated the lion, he created a riddle out of that. So here is a guy who loves to live on the edge and loves to make light of everything that's, that's right and good. But as their relationship develops, notice that Delilah starts probing for that secret to his strength. Listen to what the Bible says, how she wore him down through attrition. Verse 6, the Bible says, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. And now she and the men are laying in ambush in the inner chamber. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it is touched by the fire. And so the secret of his strength was not known. And then in verse 10, Delilah said to Samson, Behold, 
Have you mocked me and told me lies? Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with a new rope that hasn't been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber, but when he snapped the ropes off like a thread, then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pen, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And so while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with the pen and said to him, The Philistines are upon you. But he woke from his sleep and pulled away the pen, the loom, and the web. Notice here the process of attrition that is going on. Here's a man who likes to get about as close to the edge as you can. Push it right up to the limit. And Samson is feeling prideful. He's feeling cocky. He's feeling confident. And as he's toying with her, she's toying with him. He doesn't realize it. Samson thought it was all one big game. But it turned out to be Russian roulette. And how many of you know, if you spin the barrel enough times, one of those, it's going to land and you're going to bite the bullet. And so what I see here is, here's another picture of the way that the devil will work on you and me. The way that the enemy will wear us down. Inch by inch, little by little, Satan will give us to give in one little compromise at a time. One little rationalization at a time. Uh, one little inch toward the limit. So Delilah was patient. She tried it over and over and over again. And you know what? The devil is patient with you and me. He don't get in a hurry. He knows how to trip us up. He knows how to make something look good. He knows how to tell us lies to believe the deception that somehow we won't get caught, that somehow we'll be the exception to the rule, that the consequences don't apply to you and me. But the devil is clever enough to know he knows that a lot of Christians may not blow it in that one single moment. So he'll work on them and work on them until he can wear them down and he will attrit our patience and our strength. Reminds me of what happened one day when I come out and I, I noticed my car. I was walking around my car and I looked at the tires and I noticed that one of those tires was pretty low. So I got out the air compressor and I checked it. It was low. I filled it up. Drove around the next day. Two days later came back. It was low again. Pulled out the air compressor, did the same thing. Filled it up, drove around the next couple days. And then the third day, or a third time, I went to go pump the tire up, and it wouldn't pump up at all. Had to change it out, put the donut on. I took the tire down to the mechanic. I said, look, I think I need a new tire. He said, let me look at that thing. He started looking at it. I thought, well, maybe I'd run over a nail or something, but I didn't see any nail, any glass, any tear in it. He said, oh, he came back a few minutes later. He said, I looked at your tire. He said, you had a bad valve stem. He said, if, if it didn't do a slow leak, he said, it surely would have blown out. And I thought about that. And when I looked at that tire and I, I thought about how the enemy works on us, most of us are afraid of the big blowout. But you know what? Sin works gradually. It works imperceptibly. And if the devil can't flatten your tire, what he'll do is he'll get you in an unexpected slow leak. 
You don't know that you're being pulled out by the undertow and the current of sin. And by the time you realize it, as in the case of Samson, it's too late. It's too late to offer up a prayer. It's too late to go read your Bible. It's too, it's too late to call a preacher because by then you've already gone past the point of no return. That's the attrition of temptation. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, quote, Sin is a combination of undetected weakness, unexpected opportunity, and an unprotected life. Undetected weakness, unexpected opportunity, unprotected life. And beware, listen to me, beware of the temptation to give up what you most want for what you want right now. Beware of the temptation to give up what you most want for what you want in that moment. That's a bad bargain that the devil will wear us down and he'll get us to accept the raw end of a deal where we'll trade something of eternal and great value for something that's just a fleeting moment of pleasure that will come with a bill of goods that we'll pay with for a long time. The attrition of temptation. And then I see the attraction of temptation. But then, don't miss this, the accomplice of temptation. The accomplice of temptation. Read with me verse 15. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. He told her all his heart and he said, A razor has never come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. And if my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now notice here, friends, if you're keeping count, you study Samson's life all the way from Judges 13 to now in Judges 16. This is the third woman that he's had a relationship with. All of them were Gentile women. They were pagans. Women that he should have never been associated with. And he keeps putting himself in this bad situation with shady women. And really he's tempting himself. He doesn't have the wisdom to see that he's making it way harder on himself to stand up to the wiles of the enemy. And so, this Delilah's just the third accomplice in all of this. She's the third lady in a long string of temptation. And notice that Delilah uses the same tactics as Samson's first crush, the woman at Timnah, all the way back in Judges 14. She played that card. If you really... Love me. She played that one to perfection. And the Bible says that Samson spilled the beans. And here's another illustration of how temptation works. It works through bad company, don't it? These are people that Samson had no business going to bed with, being with, associating with. You know what 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says? Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And I'm asking you today, are there some Delilah-like influences in your life? People that you are associating with, people that you're running with, people that you're rubbing shoulders with, that you need to sever and cut off in your relationship. We have to be careful about the people that we allow into our inner circle. A lot of times we think, 
well, I'll influence them positively. And yes, we are called to be salt and light and to witness to folk. But how many of you know it's a whole lot easier for somebody to pull you down to their level than for you to pull them up to where you are? That's exactly what happened in Samson's life. He kept running with the wrong crowd. He kept dating the wrong ladies. And no wonder he fell on his face because he kept putting himself in a bad situation that no red-blooded male could stand up to. I mean, if you got testosterone in your bloodstream, there's no way you could have stood up to this persistent nagging and persistent temptation. And some of us are playing games with sin today. I might just sit down and preach a little bit right here. Some of us are playing games. We're toying with the bottle. We're toying with pornography. We're playing games at church. We're not really living a holy life. We're not really serious about serving God. We come when it's convenient. We set the rules. But we don't really care about living a holy and a blameless life before God. We're just playing games with it just like Delilah and Samson was playing games. And I'm telling you this morning, I love you enough to tell you, if you keep playing that game, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. You're going to fall on your face. Satan's going to be laughing at you. He's got your number. He knows exactly what makes you tick. And you may get by with it first time, second time, third time. It may become a routine in your life. But I'm telling you, be sure your sins will find you out. My goodness. Look at where Samson is. That's his dangerous flirtation. Then I want you to see here Samson's degrading fall. Samson's degrading fall. You say, preacher, do you really have to preach this stuff? Yes. You know why? Because I get tired of counseling people whose, whose lives have fallen apart in sin. I get tired of hearing, uh, well, we've decided to have a divorce. I get tired of, of young men coming and saying, I'm addicted to pornography. Can you please help me? And by then, they're so deep into it. I'm tired of picking up the wreckage and the, pe the pieces of people's lives who it could have been real simple if they just would have got down on their face and repented and asked God to help them to deal with the temptation in their life. Oh, don't be deceived. Satan, he's, he's got a big crosshair. He's got a bullseye on your back and my back. Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you this today because I love you. And because I'm so tired of, of, of Satan destroying homes and destroying families and marriages and, and people's lives being in wreckage because of it. Samson's degrading fall. So with Samson's big secret out in the open... What follows, as we read in the text, is what you might call the most expensive haircut in history. <laughs> oh, this haircut cost him everything. Delilah has done what the Philistines could never do. This man, Samson, he's unbeatable in combat, unparalleled in strength, and yet he's self-sabotaged and he's putty in the hands of a little woman. What a tragic story of a man who had it all and lost it all. Had the anointing of God, had a special birth, had godly parents, had superhuman strength, had a calling, had a ministry, had great power on his life, and yet he gave it all away for a little pleasure. How foolish are we? Got a family, got a good job, got a reputation, got a place in the church, got all these blessings from God, and yet we'll give it away for something so fleeting, won't we? 
Notice here in our text, Samson's degrading fall. There are three ways that sin took its toll and drug him down. Notice this, Samson lost his strength. Verse 18, Samson lost his strength. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She just wanted the payday, didn't she? And she made him sleep on her, on her knees, and she called a man and said, Shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. Verse 20, And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as, as other times and shake myself free. But watch this. He did not know that the Spirit of the Lord had already left him. God help. One of the saddest verses, perhaps in all of the Old Testament. Samson's power, listen, was not in his hair, but it was what his hair symbolized, and that is his dedication to God. And what happened is, he'd sinned beyond the point of no return. And God allowed His great anointing and His great gift to be stripped from Him. What a caution to you and me. You may have a powerful singing voice. You may have a great preaching ministry. You may have open doors to reach people and touch lives. God may have anointed you and me to do great and mighty things. But friend, we can sabotage ourselves. And when we go across that line that Samson went, God can close the door. God can take the anointing. God can rip away the blessing that He wanted to give us. How many good men have you known? How many men in the ministry who were strong men of God, who had powerful sermons, who saw souls saved? I could name names, Ravi Zacharias and Mark Driscoll and, and James McDonald, and yet they're all casualties of the Samson syndrome because the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And Satan, just one by one, he's taking them all down. I've seen it happen in ministry. And it's heartbreaking because they did not know that the Spirit of the Lord had already departed. Friend, listen to me. I think I would rather die than to lose my reputation, lose my anointing, and lose the blessing of God on my life. God, kill me before I disgrace my name and disgrace my family and break the heart of my wife and most of all, bring shame to the name of Jesus Christ. He lost his strength. You see, listen to me. There comes a point in a backslider's life when they go so far and God says, all right, you want to go that way? And he takes his hand of protection off of them. See, Samson had been shielded thus far. God had been taking care of him. He sinned multiple times. He violated his vow multiple times. And each time he did, God showed him mercy. God gave him grace. God shielded him and protected him and withheld judgment from him. But there's a, a line. It's an invisible line. You and I don't know where it is or what it looks like. But when you cross that line and God's had enough, listen, the Bible said that the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. He withdrew his protective hand over the life of this man and he let him live with the consequences of those sinful choices. That's why the most miserable person in the world is a backslidden Christian. You know why? Because they know what they had and they realize what they've lost. 
This guy had it all. He lost it. Man, oh man, let us learn today. Samson lost his strength. Samson lost his sight. Here in verse uh, 21, the Bible says, And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. What great irony here. You see, it was Samson's eyes that constantly got him in trouble, wasn't it? He kept looking at those foreign women. In fact, the first one, remember what he told his mom and dad? They said, you don't want to marry this Philistine girl. He said, oh, but she looks right in my eyes. It's only when you've fallen in sin and you've got broken pieces left in your life that you can look back and you say, why did I ever try and rationalize that that was okay in my life? You can make any sin, any addiction, any bad behavior sound okay in your mind. And you can say, well, it's right in my eyes. It's convenient. It makes sense. There'll always be grace. I can always just pray and repent and get back in God's good graces. That's the kind of thinking that we take into our lives sometimes to our own detriment. But Samson had been spiritually blinded by sin. Now he's physically blind. And that's what Satan does to you and I. We get to the point where we're so mixed up, we've called wrong right. And we've made it make sense in our mind. He lost his sight, he lost his strength, but then also notice what verse 21 says. He lost his station. Look at what it said. And they bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. He'd become a slave. To the Philistines. In other words, he is now reduced to the work of a beast. And here Samson, the mighty man, becomes a laughing stock to the pagans. You know, when we fall and we backslide and we get into sin, we ruin our reputation, and everybody knows us in the community. They know the story about our life, and that's the only way they see us anymore. Oh, I thought, oh, Joe Schmo, he was a good Christian. He was a good deacon. He was a good Sunday school teacher. But man, oh, man, look at what the mess he made in his life. And now Samson has become the butt of the joke. He's become the, the entertainment for the enemy. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, quote, Samson's sad end reminds us of the blinding Binding and grinding results of sin. Sin will take you down and grind you to the very bottom to where you're just nothing anymore. Good gracious. What an illustration of the old rhyme. The old preacher said it. I heard it so many times growing up. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. It'll teach you more than you wanted to know. It'll cost you more than you wanted to pay and keep you longer. Then you wanted to stay. Samson's degrading fall and his dangerous flirtation. But there's good news. There is grace in all of this. I want you to notice as we close today, Samson's dying faith. There is a ray of hope. It dawns in verse 22. Look at what the Bible says. And the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved even in the midst of the worst kind of failure, God is present. 
And God is going to bring in His mercy and His grace some partial restoration to this fallen man. Aren't you glad that God didn't give up on fallen servants? Can you say amen today about a second chance God? Can you say amen today about a God of grace and a God of mercy that when you've blown it, and when you've brought shame to your name, and when you have really done yourself in, that there is a God in heaven who will still respond to the lowest cries of a sinner. Praise God for that. No doubt Samson has spent some long days grinding. And he spent some lonely nights in that jail. And you know what? Like the prodigal son who was far away in the country slopping it with the pigs... I believe Samson had an awakening there. Because look what the Bible says. You're going to get a window into his wounded heart. Verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. When their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them, and they made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me fill the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. And now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entered then Samson verse 28 called out to the Lord and said oh Lord God please remember me and please strengthen me only this once oh God that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes don't you love that prayer Samson oh God I remember who I was God I remember my mom and daddy raising me different I remember my mama telling me about the angel that visited her, telling me about my special calling. God, I've made a mess of my life. God, I've thrown away the blessing that you wanted to give me. God, if there's mercy left in your heart, will you hear the cry of an old broke-down sinner and bless me one more time that I might bring some glory to your name? That's what come out of the bottom of this man's broken heart. No, it may not be the most noble prayer in the world, but I'm telling you, when you're down about as far as Samson is, you don't have to be eloquent with God. You just tell Him the raw emotion that's on your heart. That's what God's after anyway. God, I've messed up. God, I've blown it. Lord, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. God, would you save me one more time, God? Sometimes we get too, make it too complicated, don't we? God's after the broken heart. He's near to the brokenhearted and those who are contrite in spirit. Notice what happens in the Bible. It says in verse 29, Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned all his weight against them. His right hand on one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he had killed at his death was more than those that he had killed in his life. Oh my goodness. Do you see the providence of God, the grace of God in Samson's life? God actually used Samson's blindness in this moment to help him win this last victory. 
This is how good God is. If Samson had had it, would have had his eyes, they would have never let him get to those pillars. But notice here, because he was blind, because they thought he was helpless, because they knew that he was an old washed up has-been, he can't hardly see, they let him get to a place where he could push all of his strength and all of his weight on those pillars to bring the house down. And I'm telling you, the point of this is that God can even use the evil. God can even use the side effects of our sin. God can use our bad choices and the things that result from it. God can use it in His perfect and providential will to bring about one final victory, to bring about grace, to bring about glory in the life of an old washed up broken sinner. My goodness. Even Samson's blindness contributed to this victory. Notice what he says in verse 30. So the dead whom he killed at his death was more than those who he had killed in his life. What a, what a bittersweet thing. The bitterness is that imagine what Samson could have done had he just followed wholeheartedly after the Lord. He could have fought many more battles and, and won many more victories, but it's also sweet as well. How good is God? How good is God to turn open the windows of heaven and said, All right, Samson, you don't deserve it. Samson, you didn't earn it. But I'm going to bless you one more time. And my God of grace, a God of amazing grace, poured it down on Samson and let him feel the strength that coursed through his body one more time like it did in days of old. And he got one final push and one final victory over the enemies of God. Oh, friend... What a good God we serve. What a mighty and a merciful God to use old broke down Samson for one more battle. For one more victory. And you know what? He was partially restored. You say, preacher, is there hope for me today? Oh, by the authority of the Word of God. There's hope for you today. There's a second chance for you today. You can feel the joy of salvation again. Uh, you can have the presence of God uh, sweet upon your life once again. You can know the joy and the pleasure and the strength of walking with God again. Maybe you're lost, you're undone, you don't know Christ. I'm telling you today, if He can do something with old broke up Samson, He can do something with your life. Just give Him the broken pieces and say, Lord, you've got to make something out of this mess. God can and God will because He's a God of love. Don't miss this last of all. Despite all of His flaws, you know who Samson points us to? Jesus. Aren't you glad for a cross today and an empty tomb? As bad as Samson's life was, I know it may be hard for you to think about this, Samson is actually an Old Testament picture of the deliverer who was to come named Jesus. And in every way that Samson failed, Jesus succeeded. I made a chart, look at this. Samson was tempted three times by Delilah and fell into sin. But Jesus was tempted three times by Satan and he overcame the temptation. Samson was taunted and mocked by the Philistines. And while on the cross, Jesus was taunted and mocked by his enemies. Samson felt the Spirit of God depart as he was abandoned 
And Jesus on the cross, when he made atonement for our sins, did he not say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Samson offered a final prayer. He stretched out his arms and surrendered to death. And Jesus also offered a final prayer. It is finished. And with his arms outstretched on a cross, he surrendered to death. Samson, the Bible says, killed more of the enemy at his death than in his life. And likewise, Jesus' greatest victory came at the expense and the cost of his death. And just as Samson, it said, brought down the house of the Philistines, Jesus in one swoop brought down the kingdom of Satan. Because three days later, he didn't stay dead. He got up, he broke the pains of death, and he walked out in power and victory so that you and I could experience the faith and the glory of a failure. You know who the real hero of the story is? The hero of the story ain't Samson. The hero of the story is God. And what God does through broken people. Yes, Samson wasted so much of his potential that the last second he said, you know what? I remember who I used to be. I remember the anointing of God. And he turned back and God gave him grace. He'll do the same for you, my friend. He did it for Johnny Cash. Remember what he decided to do? Crawled up in that cave, pitch black, addicted to drugs, wanted to die. Here's what happened. As he lay in the darkness waiting for death, Cash discovered a profound truth about God. He said, I thought God had left me. But he said, God was there in my worst moment. You know, when, you're, when you hit the bottom, you're closer to God than you think. He said, there in Nickajack Cave, in the pitch black, I became conscious of a very clear and simple idea. I was not the God of my life. I was not in charge of my birth or my death. And I wanted to die in God's time, not mine. He said, I hadn't prayed in years. But he said, in that cave, as I lay there in the darkness, I started praying to God. <laughs> He'll find you there in the darkness, won't he? He'll find you where you are. Cash said, I wanted to live for God. But I had no way to get out of that maze of tunnels and caves. He said, deep inside that cave, he said, I heard a voice as clear as my own mother or father. He said, it was the voice of God that spoke to me that said, get up and live. Wow. Johnny Cash said, so I started crawling. And I crawled and I crawled and I crawled until I felt the faint touch of a breeze. He said, I followed the touch of that breeze till eventually I saw light. And when I saw the mouth of that cave, he said, I knew I could live. And as he said, he emerged. There was his mother and there was his wife. And the women were outside praying and they knew that God was going to do something. Here's what he wrote about it. He said, God saved me from killing myself. And he said, beyond that, he took me off drugs, and he brought back the joy of my salvation. He said, quote, the greatest joy of my life is knowing that I have God with me 
and that I don't have to be afraid of death, he said, because I've already been there and God was there with me. Golly, what a story. What a God. And he can work and he can move in your life just the same. As our musicians are coming, as we get ready for invitation, I wonder if anybody needs to respond to the message today. Maybe you, you feel like, oh, Samson, like you've, you've just wrecked your life and there's no way back and there's no hope. I'd love to meet you at the altar and, and hear you pray and we can find the grace of God. Maybe you do need a second chance. Maybe you need Christ. You've never really repented and trusted in Him today. Well, He died for you and, and He loves you and, and He gave His life for your sin and He raised up from the dead so that you can have eternal life.